Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to a couple of spots. Open up to Daniel chapter 3. Put a marker in 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you're feeling a little bit feisty, a little bit frisky, and you just you, you want some extra scripture, then I want you to turn to one more spot. Just put a marker in Matthew chapter 17. All right? Daniel chapter 3, 1 Peter 1, Matthew chapter 17. We're going to continue our series this weekend entitled Burn the Ships. And I'm going to tell you in the beginning of this message that uh, you may not like some of this message, all right? This I would qualify as vegetables. This, this is straight up broccoli sermon right here. And the reason is really simple because when the testing is more intense, we need more strength. We need more energy. And so preaching sugar ain't going to do anybody any good right now. So we're going to eat some serious biblical broccoli, if you know what I'm talking about, all right? And the title of this message is this, this is what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like. We're going to go through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all right? And we're going we're gonna to see a moment in their life that isn't too dissimilar from what we are walking through as a church, the, the body of Christ at large on the earth today, all right? We're going to read a lot of scripture at the beginning of this message, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Read it with me if you've got your Bible, and I really hope you have your Bible. If you don't, you can just read along with me on the screen. Daniel chapter 3, verse 11. Real quick, you, you remember, if you don't know this story, King Nebuchadnezzar just put a rule in place that everybody has to bow down and worship his statue. Okay, So that's where we kind of find ourselves in Daniel chapter 3. Verse 11. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey the king's decree must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. Strong words. You got one more chance to bow down. And worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I love that question. That, my friends, is called a divine setup. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. 
if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He was out of control. He commanded that the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. This is what real faith looks like. Now, I'm fully aware of the fact that many of us prioritize comfort. But for everything God desires to take place on the earth, through you and through me, to go down the way he wants it to go down, comfort is not going to be an option. Never will be. Never has been. We cannot accomplish everything God has for us by sitting in the complacent seat of comfort. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego literally are thrown into the fire. I believe one of the best ways to see trials is like the fire Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into. So, as we talk about what real faith looks like, and you're going to see possibly a different way of seeing faith. Maybe you grew up in one denomination or another, and, and you have a very specific way of seeing faith. Here's my request. I'm asking you to open up your heart and your mind to all the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, because maybe, just maybe, there's a new way to see the faith God is requiring of you and me in this season. Here's the first thing as we talk about what faith really looks like that you need to understand. Point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Faith is designed to thrive in a specific environment. Faith is designed to thrive in a specific environment. Now, you're probably not going to like the specific environment which faith thrives in. Here it is. Faith thrives in adversity. Faith thrives in trials. Now, if you put a marker in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to flip over there. We'll, we'll come back to Daniel chapter 3 at the end of the message. But go ahead and flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to see what Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says about these very trials. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. 
even though you must endure many trials for a little while. That's a powerful verse right there. There is wonderful joy ahead of us, even though I, you, we must endure many trials for a little while. What does that mean right there before I read the rest of this passage? Even in the grand scheme of eternity, the longest economic downturn still only lasts a little while. We have incredible joy ahead of us, even though we experience many trials. But aren't you encouraged that the Holy Spirit didn't have Peter stop at many trials? Many trials that last a little while. These trials, verse 7 says, will show that your faith is genuine. Don't you wish? Isn't there a part of you that wishes that you could prove your faith was genuine without trials? Of course, all of us have that little bit in us that, that I just wish I didn't have to prove my faith was genuine by going through trials. But that's not how it works. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Okay, let's talk briefly for a moment about trials, all right? If you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. Here's the first thing you need to remember about trials. Trials aren't easy. Trials aren't easy. Let me just submit this to you if you're the type of person who says, this is easy. These, these trials are easy. This is nothing. Here's what I would say. You're only making the trials more difficult. It's okay to say, this is tough. This is what we're teaching our kids right now. This is tough. And it may get tougher, but it's okay. It's okay. Because God's with us. Trials aren't easy, but God is with us through every season in every trial. Why did God design trials to be difficult and not easy? It's very simple. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And so trials test us to strengthen our faith and prove its genuineness. Here's the second thing you need to remember about trials. Trials are temporary. Trials are temporary. They don't last forever. They're a season. They're not forever. Eternal. All right? They're just a season. Here's something to remember when you think about God leading Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And if we kind of look at their fire, the furnace, as kind of the way we do when we go through trials, here's what I would say. When God allows a believer to go through the furnace, he always has his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. God is not just meanly ushering or allowing his children to go through the furnace. There's a purpose 
for it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we have to remember that the trial is temporary. There's something he's after, and it will be over when he gets it. And that's the third thing you have to remember. Trials have purpose. Trials have a purpose when God leads us through them. And it doesn't matter what kind of trial. Don't, don't think I'm talking about a specific, specific disease or, or an economic situation. We're just talking about trials, okay? When God allows us to go through trials, he uses them to serve a purpose in our lives. Now, I want you to think about something. In the old days, when a goldsmith was refining precious metal, do you know how they knew when it was time to take the metal out of the furnace, off of the fire? The goldsmith knew that when he or she could see their reflection in the metal, it was time to take it out of the fire. Have you noticed that whenever we go through crisis, whether you look back at September the 11th, what happened post 9-11, or maybe in the, the crash of 2008, have you ever noticed when, when we go through difficulty, we start behaving the way we should have been behaving all along? And as believers, I, I'm already seeing this in my own home. I'm seeing new habits that probably should have been there all along, and there's no judgment. But one of the things God does when he uses trials in our lives is he gets us to where we look more like him. That is the goal of our everyday lives, to look more like Jesus. God never just leaves the precious metal in the fire forever. His eye is always on the clock. His hand is always on the thermostat. And when he sees more of him in us, he knows the trial has produced what he had hoped. This brings us to the second point. As we talk about faith and what faith really looks like. Point number two. Faith has a particular way it behaves. Faith has a particular way it behaves. Matthew chapter 17, flip over there if you're one of the brave ones that turned to three different spots. Kudos to you if you're keeping up. And remember, you can't pause this and then rejoin the live. That's all right. Matthew chapter 17, I, I want you to see this. Jesus is having an incredible conversation about faith. And this passage, I've seen it abused and definitely misunderstood for a really long time. I'm in no way uh, proposing that I know better than anyone else. But what I'd like to submit to you is a slightly new way to look at an old verse. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Okay, I have heard this passage of scripture used uh, in, in ways I'm not quite sure it was meant to be used. 
uh, and, and I, I'm even bus checking myself, all right? I'm not bus checking any denomination or any type of person. I'm bus checking myself. When I read this passage when I was a young boy, here was my thought. If I believe I can walk on water because God empowers me, I can do it. I'll walk on water. So if I'm being honest, this, this happened multiple times. And I, I think we all have kind of done something like this. I, I would go to the edge of the pool. I would sit down, you know. At first, I, I would just stand up and try this. And then I realized I, that's not going to work. So I would sit down and I would say to the Lord, God, I believe that you can empower me to walk on water just like Jesus did. And I would do this right here. And I pushed my foot down. And an interesting thing happened. Every time my foot went below the water, I never once was able to walk on water. Okay, doesn't make me bad. But see, I thought what Matthew 17, Jesus was saying in Matthew 17 was, Preston, if you just believe that it can happen, it will happen. Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying. When I was in college, this was a passage that one of my professors gave us to study in depth. And one of the things he taught us as we broke down every word in this passage was that most people look at the word faith in this passage that Jesus uses, and, and because Jesus is saying, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, really tiny, you could say to that mountain. And I remember my professor saying, most people read Matthew 17 and think that as long as faith is bold enough to be verbal, it'll work. And I'll never forget my professor saying that day, the word faith that Jesus used was an operational faith. And he said, I want you to think about the faith Jesus is talking about like this. Yes, it is important to have the faith that believes that God can do anything. That is absolutely important. Our God has all strength, all power, all knowledge. He can do anything he wants to do. And I believe that. God has the power to do anything he desires to do. All right? So yes, it's important to believe that God can do it. But I'll never forget my professor. He had a spoon in the class. And he held up the spoon. And he said, I'm going to give you a new way to see the faith Jesus was talking about. He said, the type of faith Jesus is referencing is called an operational faith. It's not merely a verbal faith. It's operational. And he said, I want you all to close your eyes. And I want you to picture the moment Jesus is painting. So we all closed our eyes. And he said, I want you to get the picture that there is a mountain standing before you that God has said, I want this mountain to be moved. So there I was, closing my eyes. I see the mountain. I see me standing in front of the mountain. I hear God saying, Preston, I want this mountain to be moved. Do you believe I can move it? I'm standing there at the mountain, and I, I said, yes, Lord, I believe you can move this. And then my professor says, now, 
I want you to look into your right hand and see a spoon. When you say what Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, cast yourself into the sea and it would do so. I want you to hear yourself saying to the mountain, cast yourself into the sea. And now I want you to open your eyes. And if the mountain is still there and God wants it moved, here's the big question. Are you willing to take your spoon and move that mountain one spoonful at a time if you must? See, many of us think that as long as our faith is loud, it's strong. But is it possible that what Jesus is saying in this moment is, hey, I don't just need a loud faith. I need active faith. Preston, yes, there are going to be times where I, I say, use you to say, son, stand still. There are going to be some of those moments in your life. But son, when the sun doesn't stand still, what are you going to do? Will you stop believing? Or if I ask you, will you grab your spoon and move that mountain one spoonful at a time? This passage was the passage that ministered to me so much when Holly and I moved to Scottsdale to start this church. I knew the Lord had said, go to that city and build a church. Start it from scratch. And we did, and it was hard. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you. I kind of thought that God was just going to miraculously move the mountain. And it took a couple of weeks for me to realize he put a spoon in my hand, and I was going to spend the next couple years of my life committed to moving that mountain with a spoon no matter how long it took. See, oftentimes, the strongest faith is the most active, not always the most loud. Faith has a way it behaves. Faith works. It operates. It doesn't just believe. It proves its belief by its behavior, even with a spoonful at a time. Point number three, the stronger my faith, the more I hear a specific phrase. The more I hear myself use a specific phrase. In my opinion, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one of my favorite and strongest stories of faith in the Bible. And it isn't because they had the faith to go into the fire. Yes, that's amazing. But I think the strength of their faith is revealed in a phrase that they use. And we may not like this. You may not like this part of the message, but I'm just telling you, this is real talk, okay? I wouldn't be doing you any favors if I was sugarcoating life right now. This is real talk. What is it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say when standing in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, when he gives them one more chance to get out of the fire, they say the following. We know our God can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, 
we will not bow down to you. Those words right there are some of the most challenging words in my Bible. It's easy to say, I believe God can rescue me through this. No matter what is ahead, I believe God can rescue me and my family. It's easy to say that. You know what's harder to say that than that? But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, it's not going to change how I feel about my God. See, this is the difference between a contractual type of faith and a covenantal type of faith. See, a contract kind of works like this. Let's just look in marriage. Many people get divorced because they actually signed up for a contractual marriage, not a covenantal marriage. All right? What does a contractual marriage sound like? It sounds like this. If you do that, then I will do this. But if you don't do that, I'm not doing this. This is how many couples behave in marriage. As long as you do that, I will do this. A covenantal marriage talks like this. I would really like for you to do that. But even if you don't, I'm still going to do this. See, marriage is not about I do. It's about I will. Even when you don't, I still will. Even when you won't, I still will. See, that's how real faith talks. That's how real love talks. And I want you to think about this for a minute. When Satan is tempting Jesus, what type of worship was Satan setting before Jesus? What did he say? If you'll bow down and worship me, if, if you will do this, then I will give you all of that. I want to be careful in saying this, but if Satan did it, that means it's demonic. That a contractual type of faith, at the very least, is ungodly. Because when we say, God, I'll worship you as long as you get me through this. And as long as you get me through this with this, 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 and this still intact. God, I'll follow you. I'll walk with you as long as you do all of these things. Okay, that's a contract. And I'll say it even more clearly. That's not believing in God. That's bargaining with God. God, if you'll just do all of that stuff, I'll do all of this stuff. Okay, that's not faith. That's a contract. A covenant says, God, I believe that you could do all of this. But I want you to know, even if you don't, I'm still all in. What I am submitting to you today, wherever you are watching this, no matter who you're watching this with, I'm submitting the following to you. Real faith is not dependent upon what God does or does not do. Real faith is based upon God and God alone. No matter what. Now, 
if you feel, as you look back through your life, that you've had more of a contractual faith, don't, don't feel bad or guilty. Just turn. Just change. Okay? I've been there. There have been moments at, at various points in my life where I thought and said to God, well, I, I'll do this, but I, I really need you to do that first. I, I've been guilty of that many times. The goal is that we would live in such a way with such strength in our faith that we would say, God, I believe that you can. But even if you don't, I still believe. The stronger my faith, the more I hear myself use that specific phrase. God, I believe. But even if you don't. When my faith is weak, it sounds contractual. When my faith is strong, it is most covenantal. That leads us to point number four. Can't go through Daniel chapter three without reading the rest of the story. Go back to Daniel chapter three, if you have your Bible. We're gonna read the rest of the story together. Daniel chapter three, starting in verse 24. Here is point number four. The testing of our faith always makes way for us to see God's faithfulness in miraculous ways. I know it's a wordy point, but it's a powerful one. The testing of our faith always makes way for us to see God's faithfulness in miraculous ways. Daniel chapter 3, let's go back to verse 24. But suddenly, remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire, seven times hotter than normal, The slaves on the outside that worked for King Nebuchadnezzar have all died because they got too close to the flames. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the midst of the fire in the furnace. Verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. The pushy king is now popping up in amazement. And exclaims to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. That's just awesome right there. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Servants of the Most High God, remember what, what King Nebuchadnezzar said before he tossed them in? And what lo- lowercase g God could save you from my fire? Now listen to what he's saying now. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, capital G, come on somebody. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not even scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. That is nasty right there. Nasty. They didn't even smell like smoke. Do you see what's happening? 
after they come out of the fire, everyone gathers around. What are they looking at and for? They're actually seeing the testimony of God's faithfulness. That's what they're so blown away by. There's no explanation for how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made it through this fire other than the Most High God. Can I just tell a few people, there is not going to be any other explanation for how you move through these trials the way that you do other than to say only God could do this. Your neighbors, your family, your friends, many who don't know Jesus are watching how you navigate this next season of your life. And the testimony that I believe they're going to see, if you will walk in and by faith, is that the only explanation for the fact that you made it through the furnace is your God reigns. He reigns. And nobody got credit that day other than God. Not Shadrach, not Meshach, not Abednego. Nobody but God got glory. And this is why he allows us to go through trials. I want you to think about something. If you were Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, would you be more excited that God rescued you that you didn't die in the furnace? Or would you be more excited that you saw God in the flames? See, I think our flesh would first celebrate, we didn't die. But you know what real faith looks like? It thanks God for the faithfulness through the flames. But real faith celebrates the fact that even though the flames were a little scary at times, that it was worth it to see the face of God in a way they never had before. I think to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was more important to them that they saw God with them than that they saw God save I remember when we moved here to start this church. It required a ton of steps of faith. We felt the Lord say Holly needed to quit her job uh, to focus on our family because everything we were about to walk through was going to require more of our family than ever. And so we, by faith, stepped away from a six-figure job. On paper, it seemed like the absolute worst time but we knew we'd heard God. Little by little, we experienced more and more trials. If I were to say it honestly, I never even felt like I had a shovel. In those days, I felt like all I had was a spoon. And there were so many days where I was tempted to get really frustrated with God and say, Where, where's all the heavy equipment, God? Where are the backhoes? Where are the caterpillars? At least where are the shovels? Why is it me and my spoon? Now looking back at everything God had us walk through, 
Can I tell you one of the biggest things that I learned? That when you go through stuff that is a little scary, when you get to the other side, it isn't the fact that God rescued you that you're so excited about. It's that you saw God be with you every step of the way. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.